0: off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's B-L-W-P-O-D. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way.
1: It is bad, right? Like when someone's telling you to like restrict calories and count calories and over-obsessed about food and you know, it's a baby, but like, how are you around food? Maybe some days you want to eat the oatmeal and some days you don't. Maybe that's how the baby is too. Like,
0: I mean, give them a break. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Hey guys, welcome back. Now today's interview is a little bit different. I'm going to be talking with a very amazing guest about diet culture. And to be honest, I think that term diet culture is thrown around all the time. And I was like, do I even really know what diet culture is? I mean, one thing I do know is if you work in nutrition, no matter what you do or say, you will at some point be accused of feeding into quote-unquote diet culture. So I wanted to talk to someone who really does get this whole diet culture angle. So I invited registered dietitian Vanessa Rossetto on the podcast to talk about ditching diet culture and how we can foster our baby's healthy relationship with food. Don't worry, she's gonna define what it is. And Vanessa is a straight talker. I love her down-to-earth approach about food and nutrition. We're actually releasing this episode during March, which is National Nutrition Month. So for all of the interviews in March, I'm interviewing and spotlighting other registered dietitians and the work they do in and around food and feeding. So Vanessa Rosetto is, like me, a registered dietitian. We actually both work in both the private sector and you know in business, but also as dietetic educators. So she is the dietetic internship director at New York University. But Vanessa also runs a very impressive private practice, a relatively new, they actually started it during COVID. It's called Kulina Health, and she's located in the New York City, New Jersey areas. Vanessa and her business partner now employ nine dietitians. They do about 95% of their business with insurance, which is really impressive because that's very hard to do as someone who used to run a private practice. Um, part of Vanessa's whole philosophy is about making nutrition available to people who need it most. So she'll be sharing a little bit about that. So Vanessa is also a mom of two kids, Rocco and Kate. She's going to be sharing a little bit about her philosophy in feeding which I think is really going to surprise you. This is not your run-of-the-mill like dietitian mom food police stuff. Vanessa uh, Vanessa's going to chat a bit about the pressures of feeding kids quote unquote healthy foods and what pressuring and feeding actually does to babies down the road. She sees the aftermath of that in her private practice, but she's going to leave us with positive tips on things we can do instead of just saying all the stuff we shouldn't do. So, Vanessa's sharing ideas on what we can do to foster a better relationship with food for our babies than maybe many of us have as adults. So, She's very blunt, very forthright about the things that like mess us up as adults when it comes to food and feeding. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you guys enjoy this interview with registered dietitian, Vanessa Rosetto, all about ditching diet culture and fostering your baby's healthy relationship with food. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me. This episode, it's coming out during National Nutrition Month. And I'm curious, could you just share a little bit about your background and how you decided to become a dietitian? Yeah. I actually went to college
1: and studied history. And then I went back to school. I got a master's in marketing. And then I went back to school and became a dietitian because I actually, after college, went to see a dietitian who Carrie Glassman, who actually is a good friend of mine. Oh, yeah. I know Carrie. She's like, great. And I thought she was so smart and she talked about nutrition and it was in this like digestible way. And it really helped me. And I was like, wow, it's kind of like medicine, which I'm interested in, but also it's about food, which I'm also interested in. So let me apply and I got in
0: and then I just went from there and here I am 11 years later. Can I ask you what it was about like history, marketing? Like what was not fulfilling to you that you like went to go do a third thing? Cause that's pretty major. Like it's not like you just become a dietitian overnight.
1: Yeah, so I did start college as a pre-med major, but I, you know, wanted to party. I was like, this is not (laughs) for me. And dieticians like to party, let me just tell you. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to like hang out. And so then I decided, but I always was like an A student. So like, how am I going to get A's with like minimal effort? How do I do this? And so I was like, oh, I'm going to be a history major because they just seem to like read and write papers. (laughs) Except by the way, I had to read like a thousand pages a week and write papers all day long. So it wasn't easy. Um, And then after that, I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll go work. And I worked this like marketing job. I worked for Lifetime Television. And I thought, all right, I'll just go get a degree in marketing because that seems like what the path is because I'm already here. But it just really wasn't for me because I didn't see how I was helping people. I really wanted to, like, that's my personality, right? I like, I'm always helping. I'm a solutions oriented person. And
0: so, you know, just kind
1: of twists and turns. And here I am. Big
0: lifetime fan, which has helped me a lot, I have to say. So I know it's not for everyone, but okay. I know people outside of the nutrition field, they don't always realize what it is that a dietitian can do. And so, I just in chatting with you, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so similar. Cause like you do a lot of different things at one time because there are so many cool things you can do. Like, could you just tell us a little bit about the jobs you've had in nutrition? And then how would you currently describe your job?
1: Yeah. So it's so funny. Cause you know, whenever anyone asks about nutrition, they think you're like, well, like, I don't know you take food orders. It's very weird. <laughs> they like, never They really- think
0: you bring jello to the nurses at the hospital.
1: Yeah. Like they do not know that You take biochemistry and organic chemistry and anatomy and physiology. Like when they hear all of that, they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) So there's that, you know, we do a lot of math. But I've had so many jobs, right? I've worked in the hospital. I've worked in home infusion. So any kind of nutrition in the vein, in the, in the stomach, right? And then, and I've written, I've written out the, you know, the TPN orders and the two feet orders and changed the notes. So the patient would get like insurance coverage. I've worked in a private practice, right? It's somebody else's private practice where I then saw like, well, I can do this myself. So I'll just do it myself. I've actually also worked for large corporations. So I worked for a company that did like, really extensive like health screens for the employees of fortune 500 companies and then would give them like this whole you know docket of like this is what's going on with you and this is how you fix it and then at the end of that there was health coaching for like you know however long a year because what that did was it allowed the employer to say this is what my employee looks like so that they could then get lower insurance rates right so it's this whole thing so people don't really realize how like intricate and important nutrition can be but it's like multifaceted. I've also been like in-house nutrition for really big companies. I've worked with celebrities. Like, I mean, I've done so many different crazy things, written articles. So being a dietitian, you can do so much. You don't just have to be doing a private practice or being in a hospital. Nutrition can translate so many other ways. I haven't personally done it, but you know, I have plenty of friends that work for food companies. Even like the dietitian that works for Siggy's Yogurt, for example, she created that job. She wrote to them and was like, this is why you need a dietitian.
0: Dude, and Siggy loves dietitians now, like because of her. Yeah. That's cool. Exactly. No, I always tell students that like the job you want, you're never going to find it on a job board. Like you have to go out and create it. But anywhere where there's food and not currently a dietitian, there's a role for you. You just need to figure it out. That's right. That's right. So talk a little bit about your role, because I know you're, you are in a private practice now, which I think is crazy how fast you guys have grown that in New York City or in the New York area, which is like just insane in, during COVID. And then also, could you just tell us a little bit about what you do on the education side as the dietetic internship director too?
1: Yeah. So I had a private practice on my own. And then a friend who was also had her own private practice on her own, we met one day for coffee and decided that we would merge those private practices. So we did that during COVID and grew really fast because you know, after everyone was in their COVID drinking and eating whole, they were like, I need to get out of this because it's not ending. So can you talk to someone? (laughs) So we started just with two dietitians and ourselves. So four of us seeing patients and then it just got busier and busier. And so now we have nine dietitians and an office manager and social media and, you know, a biller who's amazing and chases all of our money and we can't be without him or his wife. They're wonderful. And so that's, that feels really good because we're helping people and we take insurance So it makes nutrition and wellness accessible like to the masses, right? You know, it's all fine and well to charge a thousand dollars for a nutrition session if that's what you want to do. And there are people that will pay for that. But what about the person who can't pay for that, right? Like, where does that leave them? And so I think it's our obligation and our duty to make sure that we are doing everything we can so that people can be healthy and can really do it in like an actionable way, like giving them tangible resources, things that they can do to excel. And then, like about two and a half years ago, the former director of the dietetic internship was made a dean, and so she called me at Funny on Vacation, and she's like, "Hey, I got promoted," and I was like, "All right, like you could have just waited till I got back to like tell me that." <laughs> i like, "Don't care," <laughs> and she's like, "Oh no, no, no! I need, I need help." get a new person. I was like, oh, so I started like naming all these people. I thought that would be great. And she's like, no, no, that person is you. And I was like, ah, okay, great. So and this is at NYU, right? This is at NYU. Yeah. And so I had a little time pre COVID to get a class in or two and like help them and teach them and have them pass their RD exams, all of them and become dietitians. And then COVID hit and we had to pivot, but we did really well also with the help of that former dietetic internship director who became a Dean. She's very clever. And so we had a lot of things you know, at the height of COVID, we had like student actors and we had, you know, our own electronic medical record. And I would just basically precept students as if we were in the hospital. I would assign them patients. They would go through the EMR. They would have a student actor. I would review the notes with them and just like
0: track hours that way. Okay. So I was so excited to interview you today because we're talking about the topic of ditching diet culture and fostering your baby's healthy relationship with food. So before we dive into that, could you just share your thoughts on exactly what this quote-unquote diet culture that we all hear about, like what does that even refer to? I know, this diet culture is like so It's such a buzzword, but I'm like, what is it? Everyone talks about how bad it is, like, tell us why. It is bad, right? Like when
1: someone's telling you to like restrict calories and count calories and, you know, over-obsessed about food and, you know, do this diet or, you know, Adele did this diet, J-Lo did this diet, Beyonce did this diet. It's like, okay, 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 I get it. But also like, guys with a brain, like you don't have JLo money. So you're never going to be able to execute JLo's diet, right? Like, yeah, she has a team of people like slapping the food out of her hand and, you know, (laughs) massaging her face and like making her meals and working her out and watching her kids. So like, don't try to do what she's doing. That's number one. Number two, diet culture, of course, like nobody with a brain in their head subscribes to diet culture. Why would I want to turn you into somebody who is so over-obsessed and hyper-focused on food? However, there are all these like gray areas in between where like everyone's coming at you. So like, if you are prescriptive to your patient, then people are saying that like you're feeding into diet culture, but am I really? So like, for example, I have a patient who, is pre-diabetic and she was intermittent fasting and doing this and doing that, and but also like intuitively eating. Guess what? That doesn't work for her because she's intermittent fasting. She Liver's doing gluconeogenesis. We're pumping out too much sugar. Like there's too much happening here. So I had to get prescriptive. And I had to say, you need to be eating this much starch at breakfast, this much starch at lunch, this much starch at dinner, this, 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 and this, because we're trying to control numbers. So I think it's like a little bit dangerous when we're like, Okay, diet culture, and then we lump everything in there because for the regular person, they don't understand that. So they're just like, "Oh, well, this dietitian says intuitively eat, and that means I can eat whatever I want." It's not clear. Mm-hmm. I think we have to really be deliberate about the language. Like, yeah, I don't subscribe to any diet. I think a diet is stupid. It's not sustainable. Let's move
0: on from that. Yeah, but you're talking like perfect example, like medical nutrition therapy. That person has a diagnosis. We know from a science standpoint the way carbohydrates and then long periods without carbohydrates for that person is going to react like no offense, a celebrity nutritionist who like got her degree from a diploma mill online is not going to be able to do that. You you know, you're just showing like why we do need registered dietitians involved in in, diet is just what you eat. Like, that's right. That's right. But what you said is
1: very important, right? We know science. And for some reason, everybody's like, nobody wants to deal with
0: science. We're all moving away from science. We're like, guys, science works. (laughs) That is another episode about why science works. Yeah. Um, Can you just share the story that you were just telling me about, like, the patient that you just had who was talking about her own daughter and, like, when she started to gain weight, it was, like, really eye-opening. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp H E L P dot com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month.
1: Yeah. I have this patient. I love them. They're wonderful they've done really well with me. And they noted to me that, you know, the wife said yesterday, this is the age that I started to blow up. And I'm like, okay, but your daughter is literally only three years old. And she's like, but she's always asking for food. And I was like, okay, well, first of all, it's COVID and you guys don't leave your house. Like you're very strict about quarantine. And have you met three-year-olds, they all just ask for food. <laughs> Exactly. That's the other thing. That's the other thing. It's like, you're really nervous because your kid is always asking for food, but like, that's all a three-year-old knows that they can control, right? Like they're like, I can control what I'm eating sort of. So I'm going to ask for food. If it's bothering you, like you can offer your kid water, you can offer your kid vegetables and fruit so that you're not offering them like overly processed things. And also you can also just shift, you know, what's happening. So like, if you notice that you're, you're not paying attention to your kid, your kid is, you know, having a free time and you've already fed her and she's asking for food, then you can say, Hey, let's go outside and play. Let's go for a walk. Right. What is it for you to go for a walk around the block? And then if your kid comes home and is still asking for food, feed your kid because your kid is probably hungry. It is growing. So like your kid is not going to be overweight or have issues because you're feeding your kid nutritious food. Who cares if your
0: kid eats six oranges today? I mean, who cares? <laughs> it's not yeah. like... And I think parents feel like pressured, especially the snacks, you know, especially for babies. Like other dietitians love to say, oh, babies need snacks. Babies do not need snacks. Babies don't even know how to eat yet. The milk that they're having in between the meals that you're feeding them is their snack. And it's okay to say no to snacks. Like you can have your own food rules, even if they go against like what everyone else at the park is doing. Like My kids will say, well, these they have snacks. We just don't eat snacks. Why? Because we're on a pretty tight schedule and I need you guys to eat at dinner. That's our food rules. That's what works for us. And parents are like, you can do that? Like, yes, you can have your own food rules. My friend, Julia Nordgren out here in California, she's a chef and a pediatrician, which is like a doctor who knows about food is unheard of. Yeah. But she always, she has this like beautiful analogy of writing your family's food story. Like essentially your child and your baby is a blank slate. Like they don't already have all the messed up stuff about food that we do. And we don't have to perpetuate that in our babies. And I think that's what our listeners are interested in. Like our audience is made up mostly moms and babies of babies transitioning to solid foods. And it can be so stressful. And I know moms tell me all the time that they're nervous because maybe they themselves don't have the best relationship with food. So what advice do you have for moms who are venturing into this next phase of their baby's life with food, but they have a lot of the same anxieties that you're seeing in your practice? Like, what do you tell these parents?
1: Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I always tell people like, you are your kid's best pediatrician. Like, you know, your kid best. That does not mean that, you know, you don't take information from the doctor and, you know, do with it what you will. But if, like you said, if you notice that your kid snacks too much and then doesn't eat the dinner that you provide and then is up at nine o'clock asking for food, then something has to change. That doesn't mean that you're going to give your kid some disordered eating pattern, right? Like, what is really important to you? Also, at the same time, If your kid is only eating like this much food, right? Like, you know, a little, like a tablespoon, how much does a three-year-old need? They need like three tablespoons of food at a clip. So you don't really need to be dousing so much on the plate. Like it makes total sense that if your kid is only needing really three
0: tablespoons of food at a time, that they would be hungrier more often, right? Like those are the things. Or even for babies, they don't, they don't even know hunger yet. We got to let them learn how to eat so they can eventually recognize what hunger is. But it's the dietitian parents are the hardest because they're like so obsessed with like the quantity and the volume of foods. Like, dude, that does not matter. Doesn't matter. That's not why we're here.
1: Right. Just feed the kid. Right. So you know, feed your kid a breakfast. What can that breakfast have? Like, I always make sure that the breakfast always has to have like a fruit in it just because like you want them to have some fiber, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the things are just, they're, they're not going to eat cucumbers and carrots and any of those things, right? It's hard. But well, you're that.
0: like, that's so tongue in cheek that you're saying that, but parents are like, dude, I can't feed my baby fruit. They're going to get a sweet tooth. They're going to have an affinity for fruit. They're never going to eat vegetables. I'm like, dude, you shouldn't have all fruit at every single meal. But like you just point out, like, fruit has fiber. Like there are things besides the flavor compounds going on here too.
1: Correct. And also I wouldn't just give my kid fruit by oatmeal, or maybe I would make like a high protein pancake for the bit, you know, and like small amounts, rip it up, put it in front of them and let them feed themselves. Right. Give them some autonomy. Like giving them, you know, sweet potatoes. I, you know, when my kids were little, like babies, they ate everything. Right. So we would like puree the sweet potato, puree, the Brussels sprouts, like put them in the cubes, put like a meat and a, and a vegetable and then the side of fruit, and then they would eat it. And then like, you know, they turned like 18 months and they were like, yeah, no, we're not doing that anymore. we we want pouches and yogurt and air. And so that's what I fed them. I just didn't care. I was like, this is America. We're not in a food compromise situation everyone's going to grow. And they did. And so I think that the more that you remove the language, you don't, don't feed into it. My mother would be like, oh my God, Rocco, my son is Rocco seven. Rocco didn't eat anything today, but yogurt and peanut butter. And now he's going to go to bed and he won't eat this food that we put in front of him. I'm like, Rocco's two. Who cares? (laughs) Drink water.
0: I love how like you're, I feel like you have like the hindsight of a mom who has seven and nine-year-olds and you're like so chill. No, I want to ask you because I know your business partner just had her first baby. And so just curious, if you were like starting over, if that was you and you were having the baby right now, knowing what you know, would you feed your baby differently or would you do everything the same? I would do everything the same.
1: I have to tell you, even when I had my daughter, when I had Kate, I remember everybody always saying like, my baby has reflux. My baby has reflux. My baby has <laughs> reflux. My baby has reflux. Right? <laughs> we're doing a separate episode
0: on my baby has reflux.
1: Yeah. Right. And like, I was the GI dietitian at Mount Sinai. So I was like, well, maybe because my baby's stomach is the size of a marble. So I never felt some kind of way when my kid was, you know, after they ate and they would be a little bit cranky. I would make sure I burped them really well. And so then after like a month or you know, six weeks, all of that stuff sort of subsided because they they grew into it. I knew that intellectually. So I kept going with that. I definitely had like routines. And I definitely like noted things. Like I would nurse my baby and I would, you know, I remember one time I just like, I was eating a bunch of fruit at my aunt's house and I was nursing my daughter. And then, you know, it was like liquid poop. And I was like, right. Cause it was all the, all the fruit. Right. So I, I knew that, right. No big deal. She was fine. She wasn't, she didn't have any discomfort. So I think because of everything that I knew, I think my kids have like pretty good eating habits, but also at the same time, like they're seven and nine. And I have to be like, there needs to be a vegetable on your plate. Please, please, (laughs) please. So I cut the vegetables. I get like whole carrots, cucumbers, red bell peppers, cucumbers. I put them in a container in the fridge. And so they have to go into the refrigerator and they have to get that and put that on their lunch plate and their dinner plate. They are responsible for that. They have to have one fruit every day. That's not me like controlling per se. It's me being like, look, you have to develop this habit because I have a friend who's a dietitian. Her husband's a doctor. I'm not even lying. He only eats chicken nuggets and French fries. His parents never made a He He's the palate of a
0: five-year-old. I love that. I know adults yeah. like that. Yeah. And yeah. they're not like proud of it, but they also don't want to replicate that in their kids. And we see that with a lot of moms like, okay, my husband or partner is super picky. I myself have like some messed up stuff about food as most women do. And I don't want to go replicate this for my kids. So your approach is kind of like, stop stressing so much about it. But I feel like that's easier said than done, what can we do to like, when you feel that anxiety bubbling up and you're like, cause babies can sense when you are stressed, if you're stressed about them gagging, they feel that like, how can we tamp that down? And I don't even know, like I'm not a, in nutrition therapy, but like, what can parents do when they feel that anxiety of brown food coming up, but they don't want to like perpetuate those feelings of stress to their baby?
1: Yeah, so I always think like education is key, right? So I loved, Ruth Yaron has this book, it's called Super Baby Food. Okay. I like gifted to anybody who's pregnant. It's awesome because she like breaks down the age of the child and what are the new foods like that can be introduced. So it's really cool, right? Like you can just like open this page up and be like, oh, she says at seven months, the baby can have, I don't know, mangoes. Okay, great. I'm going to, and oh, by the way, my kid, my kid is teething. So I'm going to do some like frozen mangoes. I'm going to try, like, maybe I'll make my kid you know, a little smoothie or maybe I'm just going to like cut up the mango and put it on the side with their breakfast. And like, let's see if they like that. So like every month you can build and you don't have to try every new thing that she puts on there, but at least it's like a guide. So I think if people are guided properly, they're like, okay, I don't feel so stressed out about this right here in this book. It says I can introduce this to my kid. And if your kid likes it, they like it. If they don't like it, move on to the next
0: thing. You move on. Exactly. And I think we, I have teach a whole approach to baby led weaning called the First foods program, which is basically to feed your baby hundred different foods before they turn one. And people are like, what's the magic deal with hundred? It's not magic, but most babies have 10 or 15 foods under the belt by the time they turn one. And you said it, then they become picky eaters. You lose those 10 or 15 foods. You're screwed. That's a really hard child to feed. But if a baby's been exposed to 100 different foods that they like and accept, and you lose 10 or 15, no big deal, you still have this whole variety of foods you can feed. And if they don't love Brussels sprouts, they at least, like, you've got a few other green things in your arsenal that your, your kid will eat. It's just the variety and, and the diet diversity that we know the research is showing. Like, diet diversity is everything. And most kids only have, like, the Dino Chicken Nuggets and the Quesadillas and the white and the brown foods and right. there are so many more foods. Exactly, babies can eat so many more foods than we give them credit for. And I agree with you, education is key. Just like knowing that,
1: right. Also, like let's not forget,
0: Brussels sprouts don't taste good. Oh, with a lot of oil and salt, they're like doable. I yes, feel like yes, yes,
1: totally. And my husband like does this like balsamic glaze and like maple syrup and like that's delicious. But like when you're 15 months old and someone's feeding you a pureed Brussels no, sprout gross. is not really delicious yeah. and not safe either. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like guys, like, come on. So that's the thing. It's like, don't also feel this pressure to give the kid, like my kid has to have broccoli and the kid has to have kale. It's like, relax. <laughs>
0: like, yeah. just. And I think if you go the other end, like kind of feeding into that, like talk about where parents are getting all this pressure from is like, when parents talk about kale, there's this great article. It's like so tongue in cheek about baby lead weaning. It's like your kale eating baby does not impress me. It's like one of my favorite headlines ever. And it's like parents like, oh, my baby's eating kale. And like, no, they're not. They're sucking green-colored applesauce out of a pouch that is like less than 1% kale. You just paid $4 for that. Whereas, like, from a developmental standpoint, babies don't need to suck out of pouches. And I can show you a safe way to like have them eat kale, among other things. But like, don't kid yourself into thinking this is some like gourmet amazing food. It's just applesauce that's colored green that you Paid way too much money for because we're getting pressure, of course, from the baby food industry as well with this perception of like your baby's eating kale, like no, they're not. Right, right. I know, and you know, I always feel like the mommies at the park are like in competition, right? (laughs) Like they'll be like, "What is little Jimmy?" That's why I like don't even have friends at the park. The best thing about COVID is not having to go to the park and have these conversations about like what your baby's eating with other people. And granted, this is what I do full time, but like you know, as a dietitian mom, people are like oh, I bet you eat this way because you're a dietitian, And I love to hear you be like, no, some days we just have peanut butter and yogurt. And like, you know what? I'm not really aware of any children who have ever died because for a few days, they just ate peanut butter and yogurt. It's funny because
1: people do comment. Like one time we were at the park and I just like bought a bunch of cupcakes and I was like, look, like, the
0: mini ones. Like, and I was like, okay, everybody, cupcakes. And they're like, I can't believe you brought these. And oh, I'm like, are these gluten-free and sugar? Like people ask me all the time, can you give me a recipe for like a sugar-free, gluten-free no. smash cake? No. no. If your family eats cake, like I'm pro cake. Well, babies shouldn't have added sugar. Are they eating cake every day? It's a sometimes food. Like on their freaking birthday. In our family, we eat cake, and people, go, I cannot believe you are endorsing cake for children. I'm like, well, I can't believe you just took that entirely out of context. But like again, you're not. Every, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, and you know if you want to make a sugar-free smash cake for your kid, that's fine. But that's not the type of cake I eat in my family. So
1: yeah, it's funny that you. I mean, we're clearly soulmates because somebody was like
0: oh, what do you think about black bean brownies? I'm like, disgusting. I would never make that. Gross. It's a waste of That time. whole freaking... And that's Jerry Seinfeld's wife who started that. Like this notion of like, oh, I'm just going to put vegetables and hide them in desserts. And it's like, oh, good. So now we're teaching our kids that there's something inherently distasteful or bad about vegetables that they should right. be all hidden in brownies. Same.
1: You can't hide from them. You have to show them that they are also in control. You have to give them autonomy. Like, right? Ellen Satter. Have Everyone reads Ellen Satter like feeding your family, right? The division of responsibility, you have to like offer the child the safe food and then the new foods that you want them to try. So if you know your kid is always going to eat chicken, then you always offer the chicken and then the vegetables next to it. And then, and we don't talk about it. We just eventually they will eat them. My son used to terrorize us about food, horrible. Like he was great. Then he was horrible. And my mom and my husband would be freaking out. And I would just be like, I literally don't care.
0: Dude, Ellen Satter, the division of responsibility is like the best. It takes all the pressure off you. It's not yeah. your job yeah. to make the baby eat you guys. She says you're in charge of what the baby eats and where they eat and when they eat. You just do your job, put your head down, stay in your lane. I love her. Yeah. And over here, the baby decides how much or even whether they eat. And I think for parents who have anxiety about food, like just remember that post it on your fridge. If you have to, it's not your job to make your baby eat. And you're going to mess that kid up If you make them eat everything, like, is that true? Like, do you see the aftermath of that? Like in your practice, like parents who are forced to eat, like they turn in, they have messed up relationships with food.
1: They do. I said that last night. I was like, when you are talking to your kids about what they should and shouldn't eat, when you are like making them feel put upon, they always end up in my office. But I will tell you in my own house with my son who was refusing to eat things. And my husband, like, going into like a blind rage. I'd be like, honestly, why are you arguing with the five-year-old? Like you need to go in your corner. Like, and I know what I'm doing here. So go, go do whatever it is that you do. But now my son is fine. He, you know, eats the turkey burgers. He eats the rice and beans. He eats the chicken. He eats his vegetable every day. He
0: eats a fruit every day. He's fine. But he doesn't like magically do that. You've got to give yourself credit. Like you are the one at least ensuring that there's some colorful foods in the refrigerator. Like it's not like they don't magically eat red bell peppers.
1: I had to keep going, keep going. But the thing was, is that I never made a big deal. Also, by the way, guys, my kids are free to get a dessert every day, right? Remember Ellen Satter says like sometimes the snack or the food can be like chips and things that are like not considered healthy. doesn't matter. So like on Halloween, I let my kids eat all the candy they want. And then the next day they're allowed to take one piece, but they have to be like in control. If they're not able to be in control, then we don't have those in the house. I'm telling you, the kids at the end, like, they don't even they care. Don't care. They like forgot no. that it was there. They don't even notice it when you take it all away. <laughs> they don't even notice it. They don't care. You throw it out. You do all these things. It's fine. So that is really the thing. It's like, let them explore. Let them experiment. Don't be afraid. Nothing bad is going to happen if your kid
0: eats a Twix. I swear. <laughs> no, I know. And when, honestly, because you and I both worked in media for a long time too. But like when a publication's like, can you write an article about sugar-free, healthy Halloween? And I was like, no, no. because Halloween <laughs> is not about like sugar-free. I'm not going to give out raisins and apples on Halloween. I mean, COVID, we can't give out anything, but still like, no, I'm not going to because in my particular food culture, that's not how we celebrate. Like I don't want to make people feel bad for celebrating with sugar if that's what they do. Besides baby led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Right, exactly. You know, the only thing that I don't let my kids have, it's like juice saying, there is never any juice in my house. I agree. But when they go to birthday parties, they'll be like, so Catherine didn't eat any pizza or cake, but she's had like six juice boxes. I'm like, it's totally fine. We don't get
0: it at home. So like let her do her thing. I feel the same about juice. And I think a lot of parents, or especially first-time parents, are really surprised. Like, whoa, what do you mean, no juice? I thought kids need to drink juice. It's like, and I mean, you know, in our formal nutrition training, you go do a nutrition 10 book, it's always got a picture and there's juice there. It's like, yeah. where did this notion come from that kids need juice? Like, they don't. We know not only promotes. Dental caries and obesity, but like just like adults, eat your fruit, don't drink it. Like, and I feel confident being like, dude, no juice. But and even if you look at the size of the juice boxes, they're bigger than what the upper end for like recommended daily intake for juices, even when you're like past two. It's like, so what are you gonna do? Take the juice box away from the kid when it's three quarters of the way full? Like you try to take a juice box away from a kid. It's just easier not to have it. We sometimes have it at parties. Like it's a sometimes food. Exactly, it's sometimes food. And I'm just like people are like,
1: you have to let the kid have whatever. I'm like, no way. If I let my kids if there was juice in the house, they would drink 18 containers of it a day. There is no benefit here. But what's also interesting is the other day, my friend, the kid was sick had an upset stomach and they gave the kid apple juice. And she was like, oh my God, help me. I was like, yeah, the more sugar, the more cramping, the more peristalsis. And the like, kid's like
0: massive diarrhea.
1: Diarrhea. <laughs> and she was like, I had no idea. I was like, stop with the juice. Do you have electrolyte water? She was like, Vanessa,
0: I don't have electrolyte water. (laughs) Seven up. What did you drink? When I was a kid, you had ginger ale and we're all fine. You know,
1: I was like, just put some Himalayan
0: sea salt in some water and call it a day. She was like, okay, (laughs) you're making your own oral rehydration solution. I love it. Okay, so can we talk a little bit about language? Because I know like when I got into infant feeding, it's all like do's and don'ts, like never call your child a picky eater because you are labeling your child like and I don't know if you agree with this or not. But like for parents who are just learning about feeding, like and as someone who works You work with people kind of on the other end when the parents have like, come to you like, okay, listen, I need help. What words can we avoid when we're talking about food with our kid or just a good idea to like stay away from? And then I don't know if you feel more comfortable saying like, well, these are the words I use. But if there's words you're like, no, don't say those words around your kid because it's kind of going to mess them up. Do you have any tips around language?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I never comment on anyone's appearance. Never. So I'll never say like, Oh, you look great today. Or like, I just don't do that on purpose because I just don't want anyone to feel that their self-worth is predicated upon what they look like, what their clothes look like, what their hair looks like. So that is something that I don't ever say. But what's so funny is that the other day we were watching the Grammys, and I was like, What is she wearing? And my daughter's like, That's not very nice to talk about the way someone looks. (laughs) It was so funny. And I, you know, I was like, Oh, okay, yeah, you know, even even if it's the Grammys, right? So it's it's carried over. Thank you, Catherine. But so I don't do that. Never, obviously, you know, like, I don't want to be fat. Like I never talk about my weight or, you know, we don't, we don't get on the scale. The only reason we got on the scale the other day was because my daughter wanted to see if she can come out of her car seat. And we were like, okay, oh, that's a good one. So you have to be, so we, okay, yes, you have to be 70 pounds. So yes, you can come out of your car seat. She was like, yes, <laughs> like so happy. But otherwise we don't weigh them. And then when we talk about food, like I'll say, you have to have protein in your meal, right? So if, if my daughter's like, I just want spaghetti and butter, I'm like, that's fine, but you need to have a protein. And the reason you have to have a protein is because protein helps for us to feel full. And you don't come back in five minutes asking me for a snack. (laughs) That's it. I don't care what you eat. I don't want to be concerned with figuring out what to feed you in two minutes. So I always talk about food in that sense how can we keep ourselves properly fueled so we always need to have fat protein and carbohydrate protein keeps us full so they get that now so my son will be like is this protein is this chicken protein okay that's what i'm eating
0: (laughs) like then they know because they do start asking like my oldest is six and she can read now so she's like we're sitting there and she sees calories like what's a calorie i'm like oh my god this is a loaded question and then i kind of like brush it off for a while and the other day she's like how come calories don't matter to kids but adults care about them i'm like where did you learn that adults care about calories I'm like it's not that we, it's like, you know, you use the car and the gas analogy and you got to fuel the body and it gives you energy. But like, I literally try to shelter them from all this stuff. And she's still like asking about calories. Like, how do you answer that? Because I don't want to talk about calories to a six-year-old. Okay, so my seven-year-old
1: asked me what a calorie was. And I was like, it's the amount
0: of heat energy it takes. Heat, to raise uh,
1: one liter of water, yeah. one degree Celsius. What a nutrition nerd. Yeah. So I told him that <laughs> and he was like, oh. <laughs> and so, so I said, calories, I did explain to him not all calories are created equal. If I had a hundred calories of an apple with peanut butter versus a hundred calories of a cookie, right? Or just like, let me tell you how it would work. He got it. He understood. And he was like, okay. So I kind of sometimes get a little scientific with them. And I know that like the regular person is not able to do that. But if you tell them like, when you have protein, fat and carb together, that's going to help keep you full and stabilize your blood that's sugar. Science.
0: That's not diet culture. Like that's science. Right, that's science. It's just science. And guess what? Kids like science. They like it. They like the application of science. I totally feel you. Yes. They want to know how things work. So yeah. just tell them that. But at the right age, like I have parents Correct. who are like, especially dietitian parents, like, oh, but she only had 30 calories. I had one mom calculating like the <laughs> milligrams of iron she thought her baby was absorbing from food versus what her breast milk has, you know, minus the calcium, which was blocking it, but plus the vitamin C, which was enhancing the absorption. Uh, I was like, you need to chill. Like you are taking all of the fun out of learning how to eat. Like your baby is not eating for 11 milligrams of iron a day. Your baby needs ample opportunity to learn how to eat and try these different foods. Like, and I tell you, you need to chill, like, give your baby the food and then remember your job, which is not to make your baby eat. Go sit on your hands while they're gagging, while they're getting dirty. It's all part of learning how to eat. Yes. We need to back off of like the adult stuff for babies. And when parents are like, oh, well, the, I have finished her off with the pouch, I'm like, turn the pouch around and tell me how many calories is in the pouch. It's 30 do you really think that the 30 calories like matters from a nutrition standpoint? If you're forcing your baby to have these extra calories, it's just taking up room in their stomach where they're not going to get the breast milk or formula that they need. Like you need to chill about the calories. That's not what matters early on in feeding.
1: Yeah. And also like, you're just taking away this time that is so fast. Like you will blink your eyes and your kids will be kids, really kids. And they're not going to, then they just go get their own snacks, right? And they do like yeah. their own thing, and they can open their own seltzer can. And so you'll miss that time. So like, just try to enjoy it, and don't don't make a problem when there isn't a problem. And so when your kid doesn't eat exactly the way that you you know prepared the meal so perfectly, and only wants to eat you know the bread that's there, like let them eat the bread and move on. Like they'll get the memo eventually. They'll stop doing that.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. Tell us where our audience can go. To learn more about you and your resources and your work, especially your private practice, which you guys have just started, which is so exciting.
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram Vanessa Rosetto R D or also Kulina Health, C-U-L-I-N-A-H-E-A-L-T-H. And
0: Okay. And if people are interested in like becoming a dietitian, this whole month we're interviewing other dietitians on the podcast just to share what dietitians do in and around food and feeding. If they wanted to learn more about the dietetic internship process and what you do at NYU, where would they go for that? Email me, vma209 at nyu.edu and
1: I will answer all.
0: All right. I'm going to link to all your stuff on the show notes for this episode as well. If you guys go to blwpodcast.com, we'll share all of her private practice resources, dietetic internship stuff. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your insight in the work you do as a dietitian. You are amazing. You
1: too. So fun talking to you and hopefully I'll get to California and visit soon. (laughs)
0: Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Vanessa Rosetto. She cracks me up. I just love how forthright and real she is. It's kind of like, I feel like she's my friend. She's my exact age, but she's like my friend that has older kids than you. And she's like reminding you, you're gonna be okay. Your kid is gonna be okay. And you guys, they are. You guys are doing an amazing job transitioning your baby through to solid foods. And I think it really helps to have perspective about what your baby can and wants to do on their own. Because sometimes we forget, we just get so spun up and stressed out about where we are right now in our own feeding journey and our child development journey. So the whole goal of baby-led weaning, if you think about it, it's to raise independent eaters, right? We have to let babies be independent. And guess what? They then grow up to be independent kids. So I loved Vanessa's insight. And if you guys recall, there was a part where she was talking about Ellen Satter's division of responsibility in feeding theory. Ellen Satter's another registered dietitian who's done very important work in the world of feeding. And if you look at the theory of Ellen Satter's, it's like, if you're feeling stressed out about how much or even whether your baby is eating right now, just take a deep breath, take a step back and remind yourself, that's not my job. And your job, guys, is to be in charge of what your baby eats and where your baby eats and when your baby eats. But let's let babies do their jobs, which is to determine how much or even whether they eat. So thank you, Vanessa, for reminding us of all of this and like keeping it in perspective. I'm gonna link to all of the resources that Vanessa mentioned in this podcast episode, as well as links to her nutrition practice, Kulina Health, It'll be in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 112. Bye now.